another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long talk about all the things we think about and do with our games to try to make them the best campaigns they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by... Tony. I'm going off the rails on a crazy train. Yeah. <laughs> That was yeah, good. That, that was, was pretty good, actually, yeah. Or yeah. The, and, oh, and I'm is... sorry. Yeah, that's Dave, motherfuckers. Welcome <laughs> to it. Rock. I don't even know. That is that is our rock and roll DM, Dave, talking <laughs> about the crazy train. And that is very apropos, because like today's, episode, okay. today's episode is about what's a better way to run your game? Put them on the train, on the railroad, on the story-driven railroad kind of campaign, or do you want to go open world? And we're of different minds on these topics, and I'm sure Dave's going to say he's in the middle. But I we... am the great peacemaker <laughs> between the warring factions. Tony, is it more peacemaker or just undecided? No, I think he's somewhere in the middle there, honestly. <laughs> nah, nah. It's ever-evolving. It's ever-evolving. So- and so this is something we've touched on several times as we've gone through these episodes, that we have different takes on the game. I'm much more open world. Players tell me what they're doing and I'm going to facilitate. Tony, if you don't mind me saying, tends to be much more story focused, driving them on the... You have not been abashed about calling yourself a railroad conductor, have you? I think I should have a conductor's hat and be shuffling coal, actually. <laughs> Player agency is they can pull the whistle on your train. Yeah, no, they can go into different compartments. They have a lot of agency. What are you talking about? <laughs> the dining car, uh, the sleep car. Yeah, hello. <laughs> and Dave uh, kind of considers himself more in the middle. Uh, trying to play out a story while also trying to let the players explore an open world. Uh, how's that work out for you? And do, you do you think those things mesh together, Dave? Uh, it is wor- It is beginning to work out more and more. Uh, like I said, it's ever-evolving. Uh, as we were talking about today, we were talking about some of my old adventures that I had put together. When I look back on them, I go, what the hell was I thinking? Just literally, like, you don't even get to, like, run the whistle. You just, here, <laughs> just get on. Here we go, you know? Um, I think what you're talking there, about I think is... there's points for both. There's points for both. And what Dave's talking about is if you saw on our site a couple weeks ago, we did post, we started posting episodes from his campaign. Uh, was it the uh, the dark, what's the name of the campaign again? Uh, it was a short adventure I did called the Black Pines for the, um, for the one group that I was playing with several years back. And uh, I needed to have an adventure and it was set in, in essence, this modern day. And so I decided, since they were based in Pennsylvania, to take them over into New Jersey and explore some of the New Jersey myths of the Pine Barrens, so, which you guys can read all about. Which is, which turned out to be a really cool adventure, but I'm looking at this adventure, and it is, like, you put a lot of, te- like, you basically have a, a block of story to read before each scene. Oh, God. It was so, it was so, uh, yeah. Welcome to, if there is something to be said about it, welcome to the Mercer Effect. That was my <laughs> my grand soliloquies a la critical role. Um, so mm. I'm getting better at that. Uh, but I, I am definitely more narrative. I like narrative. I like descriptors. I like setting scenes and tone, you know. But I'm getting better at uh, at improvising and ad-libbing some of it um, as opposed to having it prepared and, and just putting out a block text, you know. Now, you see, when I read that adventure, though, I feel like that works well there. Like, because you seem to know exactly what you wanted to say to set up each scene of the adventure they were coming into, which is the advantage of using more of kind of a story-focused 
um, perhaps call it railroad style. I mean, the disadvantage is they better go from one to the other, and they better be happy going from one to the other. And they better not notice that you're telling them, "Hey, go from one to the other." Otherwise, you know, they're gonna they're gonna start uh, they're gonna start going off the rails and going in the wrong direction. I would think. I mean, that's that's really what we're talking about here is kind of the core difference. I, I think. Yes. You know, when you when you build something like this, Tony, you're basically planning for the players to come in and go through bop 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 bop, like scene by scene by scene, right? I like to think of that as like a module structure, mm-hmm. because if you're running a book mod. Like, especially the old school ones, yeah, you're going through specific, uh, you have those notes to hit. Uh, you don't want to throw out too much of a sandbox in that kind of respect because you find yourself either preparing too much or too little. And then your your flow can be off. For example, I found myself, I could really prepare very heavily for one particular scene I'm very excited about. Like, perhaps the party's going to storm a temple. And then I find that they've not gotten anywhere near it for three and a half months. And by the time they get to it, they're silver power. They sweep right through it. And this huge epic battle I was planning was like, oh, these stupid evil clerks. And they just smash them to pieces. And I'm like, well, fuck. <laughs> you know, and there we are. That, that is, I guess, one of the downsides of when you when you're planning out your villain, you know, five or six sessions in advance, you're all you got to account for the level up. And if you're planning him two sessions in advance, and those two sessions takes to play a party six sessions, well, you really got to level him up, right? Because you were planning on him being like one level higher, and now they've gained three levels. <laughs> now the level 15 people are going against the hobgoblin boss. <laughs> yeah, and I could, I could level him up a bit, like, you know, but how many steroids can I give these hobgoblins? That's my question. <laughs> Well, you know what I did? I went from he was a goblin, and then he was a hobgoblin when they finally met him like three levels later. Just, he was just, a just two-headed just, dragon. Then. That's right. You know, he started out as an evil. He started out as an evil wizard. Now he's a full-blown lich. And if you keep dicking around, he's coming back as a demigod. You got me. He's coming straight back from hell from his other adventures to take you out. But okay, so you know, that's let's get down to what is this actually like when we set out to build these things. So, Tony, you know, you're the one who tends to do more of the narrative structure, more of the what you yourself call a railroad. How do you set up that railroad? Like, like coming into it, what are you trying to do and why do you build it that way? I build it up for very structured scenes. That is the advantage of the railroad. Mm. I know that you guys are going to move from scene to scene. I could put everything I want in these scenes. And the agency that I'm going to provide is how you're handling these. So if there's an encounter, there's a trap, there's a puzzle, there's a negotiation, you guys handle it. Now, some DMs who really like to like want to be completely surprised what you're going to do in every game probably won't like that style. However, as a younger DM, you know, like I try to prepare for everything, like you know, like create my own Baldur's Gate world. Like if you played the original BG, uh, it's been released like 19 times at this point. <laughs> but you can walk in any house. And like go through someone's sock drawer and be like, oh wow, there's a valuable ring in there. I'm gonna take that. And that that's where you got if you're gonna have that kind of those areas available, be prepared to ad lib hard while not trying to make yourself look too un- underprepared in these moments. But I mean, so I've played in some of your games, and you do kind of it doesn't seem like there's often the opportunity to go house to house. Like they're pretty much the the players pretty much stay okay, we do this thing, now we have to do this thing, now we have to do this thing. There's not a lot of opportunity to do that even, right? Well, I try to say you can go for the main plot and 
here's two side plot, like two side missions you can do. And maybe there's a possibility even for a third. We'll just throw it out in that kind of a structure. But that's about really what I'm working with. And if you guys go, no, I'm going for the side one, or then you say, F it, I'm going right for the main quest. Like, I feel this is pressing, then great. But if you want to go in a completely different direction, this comes back to what happens if they go left and mm. nothing's prepared left. I mean, uh, then then you're, you're forced to ad lib it. But I, I, I don't want, I want to, not to say that you can't go in that direction. It's more desirable to do one of the others. Mm hmm. So I guess that compares to what I'm usually doing. Uh, and, you know, maybe we should just, just to explore this a little more. How much do you line up from the beginning? Like when you're starting with a party, I mean, the last yeah, the last adventure I played, or the last campaign I played with you that wasn't a book module, if I remember correctly, you pretty much had your beginning to your end, right? Like you knew where we were starting, you knew what we were going to have to do, and you knew what our end, what our end point was going to be. Well, that's a little different because, yeah, I understood who the the main boss was. I knew that the, what the climax of all this looked like. But then I started inserting things halfway along the line in, the, in the terms of the story that I wanted to make it look like, oh, yeah, I always had thought about that. That was from the beginning. That was part of my story, um, <laughs> which was not true at all. Um, but it's it's much smoother for me, when I'm creating my my weekly games to like I, I map up each of the scenes, put, put what I'm going to, you know, put in there what I'm going to and leave some room for some deviation. I mean, there are, like I said, there's other ways to handle it. You don't have to go from A to B to C to D. You can mix it up. But I know what's going to happen in this module. And that's yeah. my version of the rails. Yeah. So for me and, you know. I come at it from a little bit different point of view in that I often I start with a scenario. We talked about this a few a few episodes ago. You know, I usually start with a world and a scenario I want to play around in. Um, so the one, for instance, the one for the Woodstock Wanderers was the players were starting in kind of a border town, Woodstock. Um, the reason this was a border, it was it was basically on on one side of a river from a large untapped forest. That border town was in an area of kind of like European kind of area of constant warfare. They'd run out of material. They were going into the forest to plunder it for material. Uh, however, there were a lot of there were a lot of mysteries in that because you know there's questions about well why haven't we gone in here before? What's in here? I mean, there's all this stuff in here. Well, there's all this all these riches, all these natural resources in here to feed these war machines of these countries. Why is it only just getting hit now? Um, people start getting kidnapped. Well, uh, why is that happening? We don't know of any creatures in those woods. Turns out, you know, there, there's there's beings coming out and kidnapping people. Why doesn't anyone know what these woods are? And they were all part of the world. Which that woods had had a, uh, it had had a spell, basically many spells put on it so that people would ignore it to leave it alone because it had a, an ancient horror sleeping underneath it. So there are wait there. So 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 part of the reason that they're finding the wood, even that they're even going into it, is because. Inside the woods, a faction had basically started feeding the evil thing instead of trying to keep it asleep. It's feeding it all the sentient creatures in the woods, and it actually – they particularly opened it up to try to get more sentient creatures to come in because they plan on feeding more sentient creatures to this ancient evil. This, So this evil cult's gaining power by taking advantage of what's under the wood, and that's the scenario that, that, the, that the players basically were put into – and I launched off with, okay, here's the town you're in. We explain the town. We explain how you guys get together. Here's an easy adventure that's going to just going to kind of show you what's going on, which is they had to basically try to track down some captives before they were sacrificed. From then, it's just been, okay, well, you're exploring this world. What are you doing? 
Now, what we, as we've talked about many times, part of that exploration has been, okay, you're stuck in these woods. It has been a long time since you know how to get back, so what are you doing? Um, so I kind of stranded them over there, but I still left it up to the players to figure out where they wanted to go and what they wanted to do. Having said that, I the players have mostly followed A to B to C to D, the steps to try to resolve this problem. So it's funny because even though I'm starting out as an open world DM, that's going to let you do whatever you want to do. And the players have done some very, uh, uh, several things that I wasn't expecting, whether it was abandoning what I thought we were going to do that session for something else. Or in this most recent session, I literally had a, had the wizard run away and we found out now he's actually run. Now the wizard's retiring. He's coming back with a new character. Like a lot of unexpected things have happened, but the players have still mostly gone about it. A to B to C to D as an adventure, instead of really kind of branching into the world. So from that point of view, you know, sometimes these differences aren't as big as they seem, you know, I'm coming into the game ready for anything and ready to DM whatever the players do at the same time. If they know what they're doing, I still have a pretty good idea what they're going to do this adventure. So I guess I'm going week to week most in most cases based on what they did the week before and what they said they were going to do. But I'm not necessarily committing to what is that whole arc going to be. And they're still really, you know, once we get to the third, fourth, I guess we're probably in third tier now. We're getting into third tier now. But once we get to like fourth tier, what the campaign is going to look like is really up in the air. Like, because in my mind, this could be anywhere from they're still trying to, you know, they're still working their way through the forest and trying to take down this cult to, hey, maybe there's kaiju overriding the world. You guys are fighting it in magical mech suits. I'm not sure. The second one sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that goes back exactly, Thorne, to uh, stuff we've said in previous episodes, too, is that a lot of times this idea between sandbox and railroad, we like put this up and you can, you just Google it out. Anybody can Google it out. Sandbox versus railroad. You get everybody having a, an opinion on it and almost always having an opinion that is very um, pejorative. That's very, it's a very put down towards maybe one or the other, generally towards railroading. But when we really start to break it down, like you just did, well, you start to see, Oh, this is a big open world and sandbox and yay, but there's still a, definitive linear story that's occurring A to B to C to D. So it's not, I don't think it's an either or, it's an and because they both have pros and they both have cons. I think what it really comes down to is do the players, um, are they just characters in your story or are they players at your table? And I think that's the biggest difference. Tony's game, uh, Storm Kings is a great example. We've been on, hard rails pretty much the whole time for the most part they feel very invisible to me but for instance at our last session we were going on this like kind of rune quest mm -hmm. uh finding these runes of the different giants to dispel uh to, to dispel the spells so that we can you know we gain an advantage so we can in essence storm their citadels um and that going from rune to rune to rune and that's rune, not room, <laughs> um, did feel a little more like boom, boom, boom. So you felt the rails. It's like you hit a point in the train where like you shook a little bit and you could tell you were on a train again. And then it went back to smooth, you know. Um, but at the same point, as Tony has said, one of the pros of what you want to call the railroad idea is that you, in Tony's words, move the football. You get through adventure. You get through story. You don't just spend the time going, oh, well, I don't know. What, what do you want to do? 
bud. I don't know. What do you want to do? You know, when you have them wake up at camp and you say, what would you like to do? And they spend the first hour figuring out what they'd like to do until one of the players says, we're doing this, you know? So that's agony for me as a player. I mean, forget me as a DM. When I'm a player in that game, I'm like, come on, guys. I kind of make that analogy. It's like, I like the sandbox in some in the respect that yes, you have this this great open world of adventure before you. We can go and do anything. And then I have these these players who don't really aren't in tune with that. It's like you open a door and all these cats run out, and then they're like, oh my god, there's no ceiling, and the cats freeze. And like stuck. <laughs> the um, it's it's similar if you if you want to take because I had an idea. It's like cooking, right? Like. Yeah, you can be the most visionary chef and and just iron chef. Here's a whole kitchen of every ingredient, and you have to cook with pencils, right? Because that's the fucking secret ingredient, because it's always something ridiculous like pencils, right? Very strange cooking show. (laughs) But, yeah, that's awesome, and that's cool that we look to that. Oh, my God, that's amazing. And then there's also, like, well, I need to cook dinner tonight. Can I get a recipe? And maybe I'll play with that recipe. Right. But can I learn how to cook that first? And so many times, again, we go back to how many new people are coming into this all the time, both behind the screen and as players. And, yeah, you could talk about Iron Chef and watch it. And then, well, yeah, but you still got to learn how to like knife skills and some of those foundational techniques so you can understand what an open world really means, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny. Tony mentioned the cats, you know, get outside, see the sky, and they freeze. My cats have done exactly that. <laughs> we tried to walk our cats once, and they came in, and, one, and when we let them back inside, the one actually literally, like, hugged to the ground and slid along it like she was so happy to be back on her carpet. Oh, I remember a scene from your previous game that you had run in 2019 where we had a couple of open leads. Like, we could go and clean out the Druid's Grove. It was overrun by undead. There we we needed to see what was going on with the uh, with the opposing army. We weren't surely sure of their position or what they were up to at this moment. And then somebody else in our party got a keep all to themselves. We just had to clear it out. It was monster infested. And they're like, hmm, I don't know. Let me try. <sighs> what are we going plan. to? do yeah <laughs> you know i'm gonna try something different yeah i'm gonna try the well, i mean as i recall that was also the session where we had the last new player join and the one guy had they had to build a new character and they weren't done so i think that was kind of when things were falling apart a little bit but i had actually um in the most recent rest, uh, in the most recent uh game of of um woodstock wanderers we had a situation like that come up now they know what they're trying to do and they've been trying to get back north to get up towards the to get to get back to kind of where the sacrifices are happening, where they can try to disrupt things and try to try to undo the damage being done by this cult. And they got back up north. And when I say up north, I mean, they had effectively been like down in like deepest Africa, uh, except maybe no more like deepest like Australia. And they got and they wound up traveling all the way back to what is effectively like northern Europe. <laughs> like northern <laughs> Germany. Wandering. A bit, nor- um, a bit it, northern. And, and like they got north, I'm like, all right, you guys are out. You 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 you've you've gone through that adventure. You've escaped. You're now back in the woods. You're taking a long rest. What do you do next? And one of the players was really like, well, what do you mean? We just go to this thing. I'm like, well, you're back up north. What do you do next? We we just we what well, we keep going north. Like 
they had to get to the region where this thing was going on. But when I presented to them, okay, so how are you going to find where it is and complete the rest of this? Like, what does your character do from here? Like the, the players did freeze for a minute and you kind of had to walk them through. Okay. So how do you want to find out like, like what's your goal and what do you want to do about it? You tell me. And eventually we, they figured out, okay, we can use the priest to cast some divination magics. We can follow up on some things to get them fixed. Uh, one of the players had taken permanent damage from a clay golem, which she does not seem to enjoy. So, so they asked about, you know, they asked uh, an NPC they have where they might be able to kind of fix that kind of thing. But I had to, the players started thinking of it as, okay, now just we go to the next thing. We go to the next thing. We go to the next thing. And I had to kind of reintroduce the idea that, no, you're making your decisions. You tell me what you're doing. There's a thing out here, but if you want to get to it, you got to figure out how to find it. And, you know, no one had told them at that point how to get there. I want the party thinking in those terms. I want the party thinking of what do we have to do? Cause I don't want to be spoon feeding you what has to happen next. You know, that's not the DM's job. That is the player's job to decide what's going to happen next. Yeah. And I will say being uh, the, the cleric that did divine uh, <laughs> a way to find which fucking way we go as you know, you're like, yeah, you're in Europe. Now you need to find like, you know, 12th street. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but I will say there was a level of I kind of knew where you were going with it, but there was also like, wait, like it was it was more of like a miscommunication between behind the screen, knowing story mm -hmm. and placement and in front of the screen. And you get that that those those two signals crossed. And then it's just, um, well, I think we might be going. So it, it can become a little bit um, difficult at that point, you know, Um Especially since, as we have we talked a little bit, there was so it was a there were points in it was it was a little more of a frustrating session for some ways. Uh, yeah. So you you know when you're in that zone already uh, as a party and everybody's just kind of still trying to get back into the groove of things, uh, you know direction doesn't make a lot of sense anymore. So well, it was know. frustrating in that there was a there was a difficult fight to kind of begin the session. And, yeah, and it, so was, it, just, was, it was probably the hardest fight I put them through. It was an actual NPC. It was a monk. It was someone who wouldn't sit still, someone who had the ability to escape to, to, to escape opportunity attacks, who had the ability to fly. It was an Aarakocra monk. So it was really, it vexed the party a lot. And coming out of that, you know, once kind of was like, all right, it's done. You guys are relaxed. You survived. How do you proceed? Then it was, you know, the, the, the party didn't, they kind of, uh, they were looking for it to be handed to them at that point. And in a way, though, I felt like it kind of, it kind of re reflected where the party was, too, because we were so beat up. And then all of a sudden, mm -hmm. like the next scene, right, like it fades to black on the battle. The next scene, it comes back from commercial, is they're in the middle of the fucking woods. Like, where are we? Like, you know, so you're literally just starting to look around and wonder what's happening. So then you kind of have to reconnoiter, which we did. And then came out of it. But similarly in, uh, like we talk about a lot in Barovia, because I think they, uh, with Curse of Strahd, they did a great job of sandbox and railroad, if we want to use those terms, because you have an open world. The, the players literally, and they kind of explain it out so that you don't, you know, completely just accidentally kill someone, <laughs> that certain areas are well beyond Ken, but they can absolutely just start going there. You know, nothing is stopping them. Like, you guys were going to go to Ravenloft, you know, session four. You know, <laughs> like, let's just go. We're going to get in the get in the wagon. You know? I was hoping for a cool cutscene. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> this one there was this a one really cool cutscene. I even had the splash page art up of Ravenloft and everything. Yeah. <laughs> 
you guys have dinner with Strahd before you come back to try to kill him. <laughs> it's nice. It's nice. It's a nice well, set. In the original Ravenloft video game for the PC on like DOS, God help us, like six, that's what happened. You got to meet Strahd. You had dinner with him. You're all like, oh, he's so charming. And I'm like, oh, come on. We know he's the bad guy. And then he kicks you out. And then you're outside the castle and you continue your exploration. Now, I wasn't expecting it. Well, I didn't really know what to expect from that scene. <laughs> That's cool. That's My character is the barbarian. He's not the thinker in the group here. But, um, well, you know what, though? I will say this, though. Playing through both Curse of Strahd and Storm King Slender, as a player, I actually don't feel like they're necessarily open worlds because I don't feel like there's a whole lot of ways we can deviate from the adventure path. We can do things in different orders. We can hop things. We can try to skip some things. But, like, like, like when I first came into Curse of Strahd, my character has a high charisma. He's kind of, you know, I had, I had hoped to be able to win over some Vistani and have some Vistani allies to be able to do some things with. And it kind of, like, okay, it's like, yeah, you, you had some fun with the Vistani. These Vistani like you. But it was impossible to make a real impact on the game world that way. Like, you still have to go, you still have to go recover the items that go kill Strahd permanently. Like, there's no way out of that cycle. So you're still doing this thing, no matter how much you kind of dick around in between. Uh, Storm King Sunder is a little bit like that. And we talked about this some, where it's like, well, we don't need to go with all the, to all the giant castles. Yeah, but you probably need to level up some more, and there's other stuff you need. Plus, we have all this material. Why waste it? So it's still, it's the same thing. It's... It's not exactly a railroad. It's more like a monorail hitting all the stops in two directions. It, it's just like... You, you, <laughs> That's you, a good analogy, actually. Even though you can do different things in between the points of the adventure, you cannot significantly deviate from what it takes to complete that adventure. Like, you're still basically doing, going through, you know, scenes X, Y, Z, a, and double A and double B before you get to the MacGuffin. And then the MacGuffin is, you take the MacGuffin, you do the thing with the MacGuffin and you win uh, or, or lose theoretically, but you can't really get away from that. So you're still kind of, you're still in a gaming experience that is a little bit, it's more open than a video game, but when it comes to the substantive side of things, it kind of isn't. You're still, you know, you still got to go hit the plot points and then go fight the bad guy. Just like, like, you know, I'm playing, I'm replaying Skyrim right now. And it's like, yeah, no matter what I do, no matter how open this world is, I still have to go do the things. And yeah, I, I still have to go through these quest points. And then I fight, you know, then I have the Parthenax dilemma. Then I go fight uh, the, the big bad dragon in, uh, in Valhalla. <laughs> you know, you, you still, it's like those things are still, the adventure structure is still there in a set way. You can't break it necessarily and do something totally different to solve the problem. Like you can't turn around and say, you know what, we're going to, we're going to go form a kingdom and form an alliance and go destroy uh, Strahd on the battlefield. We do know someone just tried that. We met this person uh, or, or, or we met the ghost of this person's army. Uh, perhaps we're going to meet the person. We're in his castle. Like, like you can't take a totally different approach to it. It still comes down to, you're going to solve this the D and D way. Kill well, I mean, it is still D and D in the end, right? But Tony, you were gonna say, I think. Uh, well, one of the problems with the sandbox, and I'm not just saying this, so I'm a little, you know, trained biased here, is that <laughs> we cover D and D doesn't really handle exploration itself super well. Five so E, yeah, five E doesn't especially. Four E didn't either, really. Yeah, four E. I don't think unless you're exploring the Underdark, maybe, but. <laughs> With you that, still want to do your Underdark game, don't you? Oh, no spoilers. So anyway, uh, they, uh, 
you find yourself, uh, if you're running like over the next hill trying to show them like there's something interesting over here or there's something interesting in this cave or there's something interesting in this cavern, are you using your best material? This is where it kind of gets fluffy. And when you're when the DM's kind of forced to add lib, then next thing you know, the players are like in this lengthy battle. And if you get stuck in a lengthy battle, I kind of want like a nice XP reward out of it. And sometimes you just don't. And then you're like, ugh. Great, we just had, like, a nice long battle. Everybody's chewed up. How's that 148 XP treating everybody? Great? Okay, cool. I think that comes back to that question we were talking about before. Is milestone leveling better simply because it accelerates your, your leveling much faster? You know, it does feel like if you're going to do lengthy battles, you need to get, you need to basically magnify the XP of rewards. I don't know that it necessarily... I'm in love with the fact that it, it levels everybody up so fast. Mm. It's the fact that you – it's based on the huge – the most pronounced difference is you're going to get your your level based on how you've accomplished goals. So it's not about – like we just blendered through all these monsters. We did all these skill challenges. No, you, you accomplished a goal. You captured the flag. You're level five now. The problem with the being on the railroad, though, is then the players really kind of expect, because we talked about teaching the players everything in uh, every yeah. game. They're kind of showing up, and they're like, well, you know, the plot's going to come over here and bite me on the ass. So, I mean, if I just sit here in this forest clearing my picnic basket, you know, an old man's going to come up with a crystal ball and be like, oh, <laughs> help. a strange visitor comes out of the woods. Yeah. You know, there's there's another side to that, too, which you which has come up a bit in both of these games, where in some cases, when I'm playing in a game that is more kind of railroady or, or modulely, if I just go about it the way that I would go about it as that character, if I just kind of think of what are my solutions off the top of my head, I sometimes wind up in situations that I'm not thinking the same way the module designers were, or I'm not thinking the same way the DM is. So I wind up you wind up in a position where I'm just trying to figure out, OK, so what does he want? more than what does my character want to do. And that, to me, is really what I don't like about railroady style plays. You hit these set, these points where you're like, okay, there's a solution here. I know how I would go about it, but that's not what's, what the DM's ready for. That's not what the book has prepared them for, has prepared. I need to figure out what they think I would want to do here. And that becomes a very kind of video game-y kind of experience, at least for me. So that's the downside of it. I mean, the good side is, yeah, you know you're going to move the football. You know things are going to happen. You know it's kind of going to be spoon-fed to you. You don't necessarily need to go figure out what to do. The downside is, you know, your own ideas as far as what would this character do. The role-play side of things gets a little bit short shrift because you can role-play as far as you can talk in a funny voice all you want. If you can't solve problems the way that character would solve problems, you're not really role-playing that character to me. And that's, well, where, I, I, that's where I find it comes a little short. Yeah, I will say, though, that I think that goes back to I think the real definition. And uh, I as part of the prep of this, I went back and I, I uh, uh, Matt Colville does a great little episode of Sandbox vs. Railroad where he he uses The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings as the thing. <laughs> and I, I urge everyone to go check it out because he does a really cool. It's really fun and clever the way he does it. But in essence, what it really comes down to, and I agree with it, is that the railroad really comes down to. When you're just saying no as a DM, if you're just saying no to what players want to do, and I go back to what Thorne has said before, where it's don't say no, determine difficulty. So 
I have no issue with players saying however they want to do. Like, for instance, the, just recently we talked about it, the, uh, the, one of the couple episodes back, you guys were trying to hotwire Baba Saga's hut. So I went, all right. I didn't say no. I figured out, well, this is what would be able to happen. Here's some possible difficulty things, you know, put the artificer on it, see if they can tinker around, you know, put it to the rolls, gave you a certain amount of info, who knows what happens in the future, but it wasn't just a, no, because that doesn't fit in my world or that doesn't fit, the module doesn't tell me that. It was more, okay, you can try, let's see what happens, you know, but it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't, it's, it's, for me, it's when you're shutting people down from how they want to, here's a, here's an encounter. What are you doing? How are you doing it? Tell me, and let's see what happens. Some things are just not going to be possible, but some things are. Who knows? Let's find out. But yeah, so I go back to this don't say no, determine difficulty. I like that. And for me, railroading is really when you're just saying, no, no, you can't do that. No, it has to be this way. Looking back at that scene, I felt the Thorns character had a better chance of seducing the hags than getting that hut to walk around. But that's only because <laughs> I understand how his character works. Well, well, my character's not trying to do it. That's why the artificer's trying to do it. Well, you would need to have a necromancer to bring the hags back from the dead <laughs> to then seduce them. So, And I don't think your paladin or cleric would like undead hags. I'm just throwing that out there. You know what, though? That actually brings me to something... I've seen, as we've been putting out these episodes and as we've been interacting more with DMs on social media and seeing people reply to our stuff, yeah. uh, to put this in, in, in time order, we recently posted the the Facebook post linking to an earlier episode about where we talked about how wishes can go wrong and how you DM wishes. And I threw out there, how would you reply to this wish asking for, if a, if a wizard character is asking for to know all the spells, to have... Yeah, the gnome thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's... So, so, but I threw it out there. I threw that question out there. How would you handle a wish if the if the PC is asking yeah, to, know, yeah. to know all the spells, to be able to cast all the spells, to have the power to power all the spells? Most of the DMs jumped on that with various versions of no. And one of the things I'm finding is when you put most DMs in a corner, they want to say no. And I think it's probably our worst instinct as DMs. The mm. players throw something out to you. You're like, nah, that doesn't work. That's bullshit. That's just player bullshit. No. No for a thousand reasons. You'll come up with all these kind of exaggerated reasons of why that would never work and why it's ridiculous and how to punish them for trying it. I got to tell you, I think if when you're in that spot as a DM, when the players are throwing something out and you're like, that is ridiculous, fuck off, I think you're your worst DM. I really do think it comes – I think you should be trying to – you don't need to let them do what they want to do. But I think when you're in a role-playing situation and they say, I want to do I, – I, the character does this, I think the instinct to adjudicate that as a punishment is really poor DMing. You, you, I think you need to embrace it and figure out, okay, it doesn't need to work. But I think you need to embrace it constructively and figure out how it's going to work or how you can work around it or how the world responds to it without jumping on that, oh, no, that's bullshit, you die. <laughs> oh, no, 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 you're DMPC now. You know, it's it, there is this instinct across the board with DMs to do that. Then I think I handled that wish brilliantly because it turns you into a talking book with the, all those powers. I mean, I, that's how it would work in my universe. I was 
Yeah, I was reading through some of the responses, and I think one of the guys literally said that he would turn him into a book. I don't know. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think he did. But. The frustrating thing is, I still think my solution was the best. The simple solution was to basically take his take take the wand of wonder and work it through that. Um, he, 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 know, he can try to cast any spell through the wand of wonder with a decreasing difficulty. Realizing so that starts I will do. say, having now played in games with both of you guys, though, um... Thorin the player definitely plays a little bit differently and and will try will um will push the divorce lawyer thing that we talked about back in the earliest episodes um a little more than DM Thorin will. So uh, some of that I think mm -hmm. comes down to the psychology of the game, right? You want to see what can I get away with? Because one of the awesome things about this, and one of the reasons that Sandbox versus Railroad, I think, becomes such a a sticking point for people is that um, they we want to find the loopholes, right? As a player, as a DM, we want to like you know control the world and tell a great story and have and all this kind of stuff. And then as players, we want to see it. How how can I push that to have it fall over? If I push it that way, does but you know we kind of like to. We want to find the loopholes at the same point we don't, right? Because we want to keep the game going and the fun and all that. But we do want to find, well, how can I kind of be like, fucking gotcha, right? Um, so I think there's a little of that. Some of the psychology between being behind the screen and in front of, you know. So it's not always just that they're just saying no or whatever. But is it something that fits in what they have? Well, you know? i got to push back on part of that. Because at no point am I ever trying to say gotcha to the DM. and But that is exactly what I'm talking about, though. I'm trying to find cool things to do with the characters. Uh, one of the things, one of the other things at play here is that we started all these games to learn 5th edition. So mm -hmm. part of learning these, every one of these games has been, hey, how does this actually work by the rules? So there's some aspect of that of, well, that's not actually how that works in 5th edition. By role, it works like this. But there's also an aspect of, like, for instance, with that wish, of this is an interesting thing to play with. And I think we should be able to play with these kinds of things. Bob Lasaga's up. That's you know we. I think you handled that fine. You tried to put it to you know you gave the party a chance to put it together a logical chance for the artificer to make it work and they couldn't. You move on. Okay. Or you come back and try again at a later level. I still think it's a cool thing to do. But I'm oh, not it trying. Absolutely to, is. I'm not trying yeah. to get anything over on the DM. I'm not trying to squeeze more stuff out. I am trying to make the powers the powers go off in a way that does kind of what I had in mind because like when I picked for instance um, Hunger of Hadar. I picked Hunger of Hadar saying, wow, wouldn't it be cool if you can really block the, the bad guys in and just let it do its thing with them? And yeah, I absolutely. did, and it worked. But that's not like that's not like trying to game the system. That's just... No, 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 no. It's, yeah, that's not, the cool thing to do with it, you know? Yeah, it's, not it's, game the system as much as be able to... Um, oh, I don't. What would be like the thing, like thread the needle or something? But like the, you have that one little move and all of a sudden every, you, it's like a fulcrum, right? Like you're able to move the world all of a sudden with a little like jujitsu almost, you know? And I know that that's cool because like when we were storming the hill giant lair, right? In that one episode with those crazy battles that we had, when we were putting off like uh, Bonnie's character had thrown up the wall of stone to lock these guys out and we had thrown and we had like blocked off certain things. It was phenomenal, and that that really amped up the excitement of the of the players. And that's what I'm talking about with trying to find like some of the 
I, you know, I wouldn't say they're necessarily loopholes, but for the lack of a better term, loopholes. But here's why that is. D&D, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, we actually, we actually posted an article about this. D&D really flourishes when you're playing with the toolbox, when you're playing with the, with the toy yeah. box, yeah. when you're playing with your powers and the DM's playing with his monsters or his or her monsters. That's really what D&D excels at. You're gaining new powers as you level up that give you new things to play with. So what you're describing there is that's just playing with the toys. Yeah. So I do Bro, think that is... I think if you're using the D&D rule set to the best of its ability as a DM, I think you're letting them do things like that because those cool things are what the game does best. Mm. You know, he's com it, it's, I mean, look, D&D, especially in fourth and fifth edition really does show it's made by the company that makes magic, the gathering, <laughs> which is because that's exactly how you play magic, the gathering. You pick your cards, you combo your cards. You want to see them do the cool things in the game. It's the same thing. I think, and I think that's really where D&D is mechanically, not to say all role-playing games need to be like this, but D&D specifically with the focus on powers and spells and abilities is all about using your cool toys to do cool things. Yeah. So that's kind of, I think that's, that's just playing to the game. Now I'm not trying to, as a, as a, I am a little bit of a power gamer. I was a magic. I was a very serious magic player for many years. I actually got a job out of playing magic. I wasn't on the pro tour. I think I was, I, 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 I got a magazine job covering magic and building magic combos and magic decks. I used to write the dead man's hand, which was the inquest, basically the, the magic card version of a riddle. How do you, how do you pull off this cool effect using the cards available? So that is the way I think. That is the kind of gamer I want to be, but I also think it's the kind of system we're playing with, right? It's a, no, I don't, I don't think you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Absolutely. What do you think, Tony? Well, I think that I would like to, ideally, as much as I appreciate, you know, the train, have my story be character and player driven. However, that isn't always available. Sometimes as a DM, you you cat you know you bottle lightning and you've got like a bunch of characters that just groove and you don't need to worry about them telling them what they're what's going to happen next. They're like we're going to do this and we're going to go here and they're forming plans and it's just like a symphony almost. But that's that's your best scenario. That that's almost like as a DM if you're as lucky to have like having a bunch of players to just eat up everything you throw at them. They're like, oh, this is fantastic. <laughs> Once in a while, it's going to happen. That will not be every game that you're running. So if you're running a more story-focused game, because I think that's, in my experience, what the majority of the campaigns I've run have been, it's got to be thicker. And then one of the problems I've more recently run into, and I've, I've experienced this over the course of my career, but more so now that there's gaps in the games, is that, you got to run laid out a thicker plot and sometimes things get lost and forgotten between games. That's very well said, Tony. That's very well said in that way. I think it's like we sometimes lose, uh, especially when we can just, you know, uh, from our easy chair post about, you know, uh, <laughs> what we would do at the table. And then there's the actual being at the table and pragmatically, what are you going to do to fill up the next four fucking hours? Because, yeah, some groups will just seven hours will pass by and you don't have to worry about any adventure because they've created the whole damn thing. Yeah. And then also monkeys can fly out of my butt, too, as you know, <laughs> Wayne's World taught us. Right. Mm -hmm. um, that can absolutely happen. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with also if your table, you know, you're all getting together and gaming and you have an adventure and you're going through it and you're allowing them 
to to help form that adventure and and figure out ways of how they're going to approach it and work with it and do it, then I don't I don't think that that is a a, to use railroad in a pejorative way. You know, I think that that's just partly the game, you know. So. So I guess here's really the thing, because we're saying that this comes from the kind of players you have. Right. You have players who. Yeah, you, Tony, you mentioned your answer. It's if you have players who buy everything, you throw out them. Great, that's a dream scenario. And I guess what I'm really trying to get to, though, is I want the players to figure out what they want their characters doing. So I'm feeding them what they want because it's what they've chosen. And that's kind of, I think, the difference between the railroad and the open in the open world. Having said that, I think as your game goes on, by nature, it tends to slip. It your your options narrow, right? There's that there's that Buddhist saying to, to the beginner there's a million there there's there's unlimited choices to the master there's very few, you know because as you get kind of further along in the game they've they, they've chosen one path over another which has taken them in a direction where you do sort of wind up you know like we are in the Woodstock Wanderers it's an open world game however the players have gotten involved in several things and have several of their own goals and that's driving us forward so that means I know where we're going even if I don't know if they're going to take a detour along the way or decide not to investigate the elven tree that I had set, spent the night before setting up. <laughs> but I, I think how I want the game to work is I want to set up something that the players are able to tell me what they want this campaign, what they want to have happen in this campaign, how they want this campaign to develop, what sorts of things they're interested in exploring. I want to give that to them. I want them to tell me how they're resolving them. And I want them to feel like they've chosen this path in the end. You know, I guess, you know, and that I, I guess I'm a, <laughs> I, I, I guess I'm Gozer, right? I, I'm saying, you know, you're choosing the form of your own destruction. <laughs> you're choosing that marshmallow man. Don't blame me. I don't blame, I didn't bring the marshmallow man. Ray. You brought the marshmallow man. That's your, but I want, I want it to be, I like, I want the players to have that kind of agency and I want to throw challenges at them. I want to throw frustrations at them because like, I mean, if we, if we continue the Ghostbusters analogy, Ghostbusters is really about some guys who decided to start a small business busting ghosts and all the crap that came out them in their, in their attempt to try to keep that business going. It's actually a business about the, how hard it is to, it's actually a movie about how hard it is to, to run a small business. That's what Ghostbusters <laughs> is really about. Yeah. And, and then they're at, the land, they're the people you have to call at the end when the end of the world is coming. It's not like they, right? It's because they started a niche business, right? They got into a new booming market before anybody else, and they just capitalized on it. They should have played that when I was working on my MBA. <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of how I want the game to be, though. I want the party to feel like we're here to do the things we want to do, and I'm the person running the world or doing it in. You know, and it's that means there's challenges that are out there for them to to engage with. There's things that are going on that are beyond their control that could very negatively impact them. I'm going to bring stuff to them. I'm going to attack them at times. Boy, am I going to attack them at times. <laughs> but I want the party to I want the players to to not feel like, OK, DM, what happens next? Because I don't want to be the DM who has to tell you what happens next. I want to be the DM who's enabling you to do what you want to do, not the guy who's dragging you along on my story. Part of it is. I'm not so story focused. Another part of it is actually take responsibility for your own character's actions. Like, you know, I want you to make those decisions as a player. As a DM, I'm trying to enable those decisions. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. Yeah, but I, I, I don't disagree that I, I, I feel like in a way that that's kind of how I approach things too. I mean, it's going to be a little different if I, if we're going, you know, and playing a, a specific thing like we're doing Curse of Strahd, right? Well, I mean, you're going to probably end up in Barovia, I, you know. If not, I mean, then then let's Curse play. Curse of Strahd, 
Curse of Strahd is a small box. It might be a sandbox, but like, yeah, you, you, yeah, but like, like you gotta I, go hit the paddles and then get you're the. You're gonna, room. you're gonna end up there. If not, then we're gonna close that book and we can open up some up something else. That's cool, whatever. But like, if that's specifically the game, right? in Barovia, we can't. Right. No, but that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So like, we've decided that we're playing in this yeah. game. So this is the game that we're in, right? I mean, Curse of um, Strahd is, an, is a, it's just it's an odd it. it Curse yeah, of it's, corner it's, case because you different. know the players wanted to play it. We voted yeah, on it. Exactly. You did the session zero. You ha- you exactly. asked us what we wanted to play. Yeah. We knew we were walking into that. Well, you know, for me, the same thing with Storm Kings too, right? You yeah. know that you're in. You're going to be playing with giants, and they, okay, so you know, and you're kind of letting the story develop as it will, whatever. Um, but if I'm doing my own thing outside of a, a pre-published thing, like I would say with Slavers Bay, even though, even though. You were literally, the rails were put around your necks, right? That was still only really the, you know, first tier, right? Because of the way the the group was. But the world was absolutely huge and open and all kinds of different things, machinations happening that little plot points were getting dropped out, little hints were getting dropped out. And who knows when, you know, when and if you ever finished the, the the mission that the Domina had sent you on, okay, now what happens? Well, now the game is really starting. That was just kind of like almost the prologue of the book. You know what I mean? But at that point, it would be very much, I actually kind of sweated several times over, well, how, like, what do I want to do there? Because, like, they literally... I don't know where they'll go. They might say, I want to go hop on a fucking ship and I want to go across this. Okay, we got to figure out a nautical adventure, right? But you could have gone to the mountains. You could have gone north into into that area that, you know, through the stone march. You could have head back south. Rob's character might have wanted to go find his family. Who knows, right? But I was completely open with, okay, whatever they would want to do once that first in essence, adventure had been taken over, you know, had been completed. But that actually, that came through in Slaver's Bay. And that's one of the things I liked about the game. I'd love to get back to it, because one of the last games we had before the whole Rona put us on lockdown. Damn you, COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Game, game, game disrupted here. But one of the one of the last sessions we had, I remember we as a party had a really intense conversation about... Do we go break up this criminal organization or this this uh, underground organization that on the one hand was doing bad things and enslaving some people, but on the other hand was helping to resist the this empire who was coming in to take things over? And it was a legitimate moral quandary, which we could solve any way we wanted. That and was that's awesome kind of- because you and just for the audience, Thorin and the Warlock, my brother's character, literally – had the most amazing, for me as a DM, the most amazing like half hour alignment argument. They weren't arguing about alignment. They were arguing their alignments and it was <laughs> phenomenal. It was, that, and that to me is what's fun. That's also a game where we did things. T- I mean, we had the thief running into houses and kind of and kind of trying oh, to burgle nice. stuff. We were trying to do other things. I uh, I was playing a druid who turned into a spider and snuck into the enemy temple and had a conversation with a high level NPC there. I mean, a lot of off book things happened there that aren't going to happen in Storm King's Thunder or Curse of Strahd. Right. Right. No. You know, and that's kind there of is, the thing. there is limit. Yeah, there is limit because the nature of it. Absolutely. At the same time, you know, I, you know what we're talking about here. A couple players in those games are kind of what made them that way. 
And it's because the players had strong opinions about what they wanted to do. And they weren't just like, hey, feed me the next encounter. And they also weren't like in that game. I'm not sitting in playing playing Slaver's Bay. I was never sitting in Slaver's Bay like, man, what does Dave want me to do here? I was always thinking from the point of view of what would my character Hannibal do? Yeah. And that to me is really important. Like I dislike the times when I'm like, all right, what's the module want me to do here? Oh, and that's exactly how I get it. I'm like, all right, great. Now I just got to jump through. Okay. What's where's the flaming hoop? Look under the, look under the rug, you know, look behind the painting. Where's the thing I'm supposed to do. Okay. Let's do it. You, Cause you're not escaping it. You, you can't, you can't kind of hop up and around and do the, and, and break outside of the box when you're playing in a box. I think D and D excels when you're outside the box. I find that a lot of my sessions when I am using the railroads, while you could spin around to different points, one of the things that I sweat is that I, I've been I've been running some of the scenes and I'm like some of these sessions and I'm like, okay, there's like an hour and a half left and we're really close to the end. And I don't want to have white screen at the end uh, <laughs> unexpectedly. I'm like, okay, crap. Cause then really I finished my line uh, that that story point from A to B, you get the big horde, blah blah blah. Okay, so I let you guys start something else. Mm. I mean, I can, but it doesn't have that whole episode effect. That's one of the things I like to do with my rails. Like everything is a concise story in and of itself. Like if the, if the game runs smoothly, from the way the way I have it in my head, it begins. I throw some stuff out. You do whatever you're going to do. You get to an ending point. It's solid. And that, at least in theory, should help some memory retention of what all happened in that. Because that lets the players kind of divide it up in their minds. We're digesting it later, you know, during our, uh, you know, week or two weeks off. I definitely run into something. I mean, one of the things we run into with D20, and this is really, this was not the case before we were on D20. We were playing at the table. We got a lot of encounters in per session. At when we're playing in D20, I often hit that point where it's like, okay, so we just finished up this battle. We could play for another half hour, but am I going to put them in another encounter, which could then take an hour, an hour and a half? So I think I do think the pacing of it, which is why we did the episode on pacing, right? I do think the pacing of it is important, and it depends on what spot you're in, how that pacing is going to run. You know, D20 is driving me nuts with the just kind of it, it slows my pace down for the kind of game I want to play. And it is kind of the, the the question of okay, do I want to do we want to start something else tonight or not? And the the problem is my answer to that question is my favorite games are the one where you get to ten o'clock at night or twelve o'clock at night and you're like, hey guys, want to keep going for another hour? And everyone's into it, so they do. Like that's how slavers. That's how um, Woodstock Wanderers started. I think the first time we all got together and played, which is the first time many of us had played D and D in years or months or ever, uh, <laughs> decades or ever. Uh, we kind of got into it and we played a few encounters and we played a few more encounters like, all right, let's keep going. And we finally broke up. Like it was like a college. It was like, it was, we practically pulled an all nighter, a bunch of yeah. old folks going home at like two in the morning from having played D and D. It was like, you know, it was like, it was like being a kid. I, I want that kind of effect. You know, I, I want that kind of, we want to keep going because we're engaged. We want to push on to the next thing. Absolutely. I mean, that's what we're all looking for, but I don't, I, I don't think that that necessarily that, that I think that's a little more the, the effect of the technology on mm. certain on certain games because I for me uh, in Storm Kings and Strahd with the, with the groups that we're playing with um, we'll go you know I mean a Strahd session I mean that's usually I'm looking at six seven hours yeah you know a lot of times and it's not like you know I'm dragging you guys along so I can hit my epic you know 
this is okay. And then there's the line, you know, or, oh, you arrive at the door. You know, it's just, okay, well, like, we have to stop now because, you know, it's fucking midnight and, like, I got to get up in six hours and, you know, that kind of thing. It's something <laughs> else. Um, and same with Storm Kings. I mean, we'll drop, especially if we start like we do in the afternoon games, we'll game for seven, eight hours. And I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> it's, it's nine o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> we got to watch two football games and all the commercials. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But I think the tricky thing with timing Storm Kings Thunder is that a lot of, you know, it's funny. We're talking about the railroad or not the railroad. Storm King's Thunder sometimes has come up relatively short time-wise because the party has hopped over the options. So, like for instance, when we were in the uh, when we were, we were in the Storm Giant uh, city, there was a lot of other stuff we could check out. From the role-play point of view, we're like, yeah, but we're just here to negotiate, so we're not looking to look under like all their nooks and crannies. We're not looking to find the secret tunnels. We're just trying to get to the person and have the conversation to move this on because you know we're on this quest. Mm. And that's kind of seemed like why that kind of that that felt like it went a little could come up a little short because in some cases we're moving forward so quickly or trying to that the characters are trying to follow the path so quickly that we're skipping side stuff that could stretch the adventure out and getting right to the end. I mean, isn't that kind of like how that's happened sometimes, Tony, when you talk about uh, the, the and kind of what you had for that night ending early? That is one of the reasons why. I don't, actually, I don't think we've actually ended early, but I have the fear <laughs> of us ending early. Yeah. That nail biting. I'm like, oh, man, can you guys miss a few more times, please? Well, there, there's a couple times. The, the, stone, the, the stone giant one was one. I think when we fought the mechanical kraken was another one. Yeah, absolutely like, not in the module yeah yeah <laughs> oh well we knew that we knew that but, but, yeah. that, but he was hilarious and uh but th- and that was the other one i remember kind of feeling like okay all of a sudden like like we were ending that faster than you expected and we were we were going to wrap pretty early that game well the thing is that where i like that give the players an opportunity to like okay here's a scenario how are you going to handle it sometimes you guys really cut right to the chase mm-hmm. and especially if you're able to negotiate like Dave's playing a bard who really could sell a, a camel with two humps a third one. I, I knew ha- I now have a plus 12 on my persuasion, everybody, just so you know. You know, we never have to have another fight again. Just- <laughs> plus 12. And that's also, I'm thinking, I just as a real aside, Tone, I, I'm looking at these fifth-level spells. Oh, my God, just some real... Real persuasion ones. I mean, just, you know, that, and I swapped out my one spell for suggestion. I just, oh, I'm like, I can't I'm wait to see them in the game. fucking crossbow again in my life. Or should you, based on, based on your performance with That's it? That's also true, yes. We oh, should take yeah. that crossbow away for everyone's safety. He even gave me a plus one crossbow. It didn't fucking matter. It could have been a plus 50 crossbow. It wouldn't have mattered. Well, that's if you would have given yourself that crossbow, it'd be plus 50. <laughs> yes, because I've done that. <laughs> but if uh, you guys can negotiate it, like if, like if you could smooth talk your way through or do the clinger needs the hair dryer move and you stop this. Usually when I kind of encourage that, you're like, OK, we can punch our way through this situation. Like we can rumble with all these guys. And like I could tell, like Thorne's counting all the guys in a room. It's like, all right, I'm like that song. I'm counting all the assholes in the room, and I'm not alone. Um, but I'm like, I'm you gonna know, kill you yeah. with this. I'm gonna kill you with this. Yeah. He's gonna kill you with that. You're gonna go that way. I'm gonna go this way. Break. Are we yeah, gonna? Yeah. 
Are we just going to skip over that Tony literally just made a MASH reference? Yeah, I are think we're going to come back to are that. Are we just going to jump right over? Okay, we're going to come back? Good, good. Tony, I'm not sure how many of our listeners remember MASH or Clinton. I don't remember and I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember the yeah. hair dryer. <laughs> now, what's the ultimate, like, fetch quest joke over the years? Like, okay, well, you know, like the wizard's like, well, I'd help you, but if you could only get me the crystal ball that the witch stole. And you go to the witch, and the witch doesn't want to fight, and she's like, oh, I only stole the crystal ball because, you know, uh, this charlatan came in, and and uh, he tricked me, and then you're going after this guy. And then my players are like, oh, my God, do I need to get, you know, Hawkeye a pass the soul next? You know, um <laughs> And that's how parties become murder hobos. You're like, yeah, we could go through all this, or we could just kill you here and take your stuff. Well, I know what I came yeah, here you for. You got the thing, so I'm going to kill you and take the thing. <laughs> I'm sorry, Tony. I just had to. No, 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 no. Continue, no. please. No. You know, Matt, Matt's think... a deep cut. I mean, longest running show in history, I believe, other than, unless The Simpsons finally passed it. Simpsons oh, is Simpsons. season 32 right now. Uh, season... True. 32. But MASH was the one before. MASH, MASH was yeah. a cultural institution just uh, from, like, the last millennium. <laughs> That's true. You know, Simpsons, I, I saw The Simpsons for the first time when I was a sophomore in high school, you know, and yeah. uh, I think Abe Lincoln uh, was, was just got inaugurated right around that time, too. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I actually weren't, if we're talking back to Rails versus the Sandbox, uh, one of the player parts where I've actually had frustrations at the end because i've had some players believe it or not who wanted to play like they were running a novel like they wanted yeah. all this stuff to be preordained and i'm like no like listen i like having structure and points and not letting everybody go crazy because i've had some guys just go off and want to push for th the party to do things that are so unrelated to the plot they can still be cool and that really does force you some good ad-libbing moments and you know that can you have scenes, as Dave said, literally that write themselves. But when you get to the preordained stuff, then it's like, well, somebody's going to be the hero. Someone's going to get Excalibur. And what am I doing? So am I Sir Wayne? Am I Lancelot? Or am I the Jester? Like, where do I fit in this? And I got to tell you, I've been a campaign where I have been the Jester. And it, it was see, funny, see, but I wasn't cool. <laughs> as a DM, I really want to make all the players feel like they're the hero. It's hard though. I don't know if I've successfully done that. I can certainly think of some players in the kind of some of in Woodstock Wanderers who might not feel like their characters are coming together that way. But I do want everyone to feel like they're the hero. I don't want anyone to feel like they're the sidekick. Because as a player, I don't appreciate feeling like a sidekick. Like no, and I don't think you set up the uh, the in a, the big bad or the the general idea of the world and the story to create that either. You know, I don't think that you you've done that. You know, but yeah, for me in the same way, I like to. Uh, everyone should have their time for their monologue on stage. You know, everyone should be in their spotlight moment uh, during the play, uh, whenever that might be. You know, like I've said before. You know, it's going to happen in different sessions at different times in the game, so trust your DM. But, yeah, everybody should be part of this, yeah. But to come back to something else you just said, Tony, the, you know, it's funny because you mentioned, like, sometimes players expect, you know, they want you to bring the story to them like it's the novel. I think it's part of what, I say, what I'm saying when I say I'm a sandbox DM. It's not just about what am I as a DM, but it's about what do I expect from my players, which is not that. 
you know, if you come to me expecting to get a novel, expecting like I'm just going to like I'm just going to tell you what your character does like you're playing a video game because so many people are trained on video games these days. That's really not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for players to come in and tell me what their characters want to do. And your know, backstory is nice, but backstory is like your past. I'm more interested in what do you want to do right now? What does this character care about? What are they planning? What are their goals? What what are the what are they going to try to do after the done adventuring? What do they want to use this money for? It gets to some of the stuff we talked about as far as side quests go. And part of the reason for that, I think, ironically is that I played in those games, UDM Tony, with those guys who did stuff so far off of the storyline that may have driven you crazy sometimes as a DM. But to me, that became fun, like foundational as far as what I think a role-playing game should be. Because mm. that's what makes it better than picking up Nintendo and playing Final Fantasy. You know, that aspect, that, okay, well, you know what? All right, now I'm going to try to make the Venom suit. <sighs> DM's got to deal with this, but... He's now trying to make a venom. So he's trying to do something that no one ever put in the module. You know, no one told you to do this. Now, granted, we were all stupid teenagers. Sometimes these things made no sense. Sometimes the decisions were made under certain types of inebriation, certain impairments mm. involved. But that stuff is still what makes it cool. You know, and I want that out of even my D&D games now. That's why, like, you know, we talk about giving the players agency as, okay, how do we solve encounters? And some of that comes up, and that's great. I still loved... You know, I loved when in the game that broke up, when you guys went up and took out that vampire knight. Uh, I thought that was great. That was not what I was expecting. I didn't think that was going to happen. I had no idea what you guys were going to do when you got to that, when you got to the fort they were in, how it was going to proceed. That was entirely player agency. I want more of that. I liked in the Woodstock Wanderers when the paladin talks down the brontosaurus. That's great. You know, yeah, I want him to feel dangerous. I want some people to take some shots along the way. I love it. But that's really only the tip of the iceberg when we really talk about player agency, because that's just how do you solve an encounter? Player agency is really how do you how do you face this campaign? Here's the big thing going on. How does your character decide to react to that thing from a macro point of view of, OK, there's an evil kingdom declaring war in your kingdom. And, and that's where the big bad lich is. And well, how do you how do you know about it? You have some initial adventures that get you involved with it. But then what do you do with it? Do you choose to continue to pursue it? Do you choose to run away? Does the game become you infiltrating them? Does it become you trying to raise a force and fighting them at every turn? Does it become you trying to escape as they overrun the kingdom? And that is the choice of the players. Like, I want that to be the player's choice. Mm. Yeah. But it's a different level of agency than when we're just talking about, okay, do you try to charm your way through or fight your way through? It's more, that defines how the campaign's going to be, you know? And that, that to me is like the ideal of a D&D campaign. I think that's very well said, actually. Yeah, yeah. The idea of, of, of player agency, not just in decision-making within the game itself, but in essence within themselves, within the character. Like, you know, what are they doing and why are they doing it and where are they going to go from here past when they, you know, hopefully defeat the world-ending phenomenon and then they still have 40 years to... Uh, but I, I'm actually I'm uh, I just got it from the library. I'm reading uh, the first in the King Killer Chronicles, uh, Patrick Rothfuss's book. Uh, the I Name have of that the one. Wind. I have the Breath of the Wind. Yeah. Um, which is really Name, good. Name of the Wind. Yeah, which is phenomenal because it starts. I mean, you know, spoilers here, everybody, but it's the you know the prologue. Uh, in essence, the entire chronicle is he's taking three days to tell his story. He's this aged wizard barred person i'm still not exactly sure 
But he's tell he's now owns an inn and he's old and beat up and stuff and a, a shadow is for himself. And he takes three days to tell his story to this chronicler. And uh, each of the books is in essence one of those days that they sit down and talk during this interview. And it's really cool because it's uh, well, you have all of these stories of these world ending events that we're going to read to, and that's awesome. But now what do you do? You know, it's like that at the end of Lord of the Rings, right when uh, Sam, you know, and Rosie and, you know, Mary and Pippin are doing their thing. They're still hanging out at the bar because those kind of dudes are always just going to be at the bar. And then, you know, but then Bilbo, because he's a ring bearer, you know, he's going across the sea and all this kind of stuff. So it's like, yeah, where does it end up there? And that's also part of it. Well, and of course, the corollary to that is that if you're going to give them that level of agency over the whole campaign, you can't come in with a story in mind, not a full story. Yeah, no, 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 the story at the story at best is one of the the big adventures or the big quests or the something that happened in their whole life, you know, because a whole campaign, when you really break it down, is a couple years maybe out of this person's life. Right. But they're not just like they unless they die. Right. Honestly, the way most of us run them, they're a couple weeks (laughs) Well, yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Like, when you really break down the time, it's not like they're spending 20 years no, fighting yeah. this evil. Like, no, they, they just got off shift, and now they got to, you know, they got to head back home now. Where's home, you know? Yeah, that's a funny thing with time. You very quickly go from, well, I'm an apprentice wizard, and then, like, four months later, you're like, hey, I'm coming back to my college. Like, you want me to teach some classes? It's absolutely true. I did it in a, I, in Slaver's Bay. I have been keeping a, a campaign calendar where I literally will mark off the days. I mark off each of the days, and it helps me in terms of long rests, but also where are they, how much time has elapsed until certain things occur, blah, blah, blah. But it also shows me that, oh, you hit level five in like three weeks, you know, or two weeks, you know, Uh, and it gives you a different sense of what is the campaign really. And the campaign really is this this one big thing that happened. It's not the whole adventure or person or anything. It's it's this portion of their life. You know, I mean, the campaign time wise, I guess it's almost like one deployment to a war zone. That's yeah, sort of what it can't, it, although it's, it still runs short. They still almost always run much shorter than that. But it really is like, but I guess that matches Lord of the Rings too, right? The exactly. the whole Lord of the Rings books are basically one adventure that Frodo went on. That's yeah. pretty much it. You know, it's, it's it was a few weeks and you move on and then you, and then you get on like you say, he gets on with the rest of his life, but some wounds never heal, and you know he's he's a little bit empty after that. But yeah. you, he you gain all your levels in a couple a uh, couple of weeks. It's very much a, uh, yeah, it's a weird thing to teach if you think about it. You know, we're, we're not really playing a game where people get better at things over time. We're playing games that say, look, you do all your leveling in the few weeks to go after the necromancer, and uh, then you're done. And then you're and retired. What do you do? You're level 20. You're now, uh, open your, your school or your, your inn or whatever. <laughs> Drink yourself to death. I don't know. Whatever you're going to do. Over my... Over the campaigns I've run, really any real passage of time without fast forwards or cutscenes, one were from traveling or periodically. Once in a while, you get a DM who's like, "Well, you guys are up north and you are locked down for the winter, so you're in the castle and no one in the right mind's traveling until spring." Okay, now three months are gonna pass. Figure it out. 
It's like every Walking Dead season. Oh, yeah, the zombies just go to sleep in the winter. That's what <laughs> Wait, 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 what? what? That's a huge plot point. What? There, there's actually, there is a, um, in the DMG has a section about downtime and basically yeah. how you do this and, and that you should do some of it. And it is something that we probably, I know I don't do enough in my games. Now, something like the Woodstock Wanderers, you can't. They're still lost. When they come back from being lost, if they come back from being lost, I suppose maybe they'll get a few months of downtime to do something with. And then what do you do with it? And maybe all you do with it is just go drink yourself to, to, to sleep in the bar from the things you've seen. But that also depends on the timetable that you're on, too, right? Like, you know, like, for instance, the, one of the reasons I started to keep the campaign calendar uh, with Slaver's Bay, one, because I always wanted to try it. I thought it was a kind of a cool thing. So I like to play with things when I, ooh, that'd be cool. I'm going to put that in my next game. Um, but the second one was to uh, to because you guys had a certain for the first portion of it, your first mission, you had a time limit or your heads, you know, yeah. go terrible and things. I think wrong. we're way ahead of schedule. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You were just crushing <laughs> through. Right. Even with travel time. Um, but, you know, for that reason, you know, so if you have a timetable, then you don't really have downtime. You got to get a move on. Same with like um, Storm Kings, you know, like this shit's going down. We got to take care of it. Or not, but like it's happening. Like or next you, week, so we, we can try it. the mutton. Or where's what about the eggplant? You know, I'll try the mutton. Don't be a peep. Jang takes the muffin to go. He he shoves it in his mouth. He's just walking out to get back on the ship. Yeah. Come on, uh, let's go. You know, Council of Worm, the Council of Worms setting, which I think we've we brought this up one or two times before, but Council of Worms was the second edition TSR setting uh, where you could play a dragon. And they did several things that make you truly draconic. One of them was the leveling system. So as a dragon, you could gain enough XP, but you couldn't actually level unless you had enough stuff in your horde and you actually took years. So like you you leveled to the next age level, but you couldn't get to that age level until you actually aged to that age level. So that you basically okay, yeah. have periods in this in this game where you would you know, it's interesting the way they set this game up. I've never did a, done a full campaign with it. I think I made some dragon PCs once. It's something that would be cool to come back to. Because the way Council of Worms is set up is basically you have your dragon. He's your main PC. But you also have an agent who's a normal player character. You take the dragon on dragon missions. You take the regular PC if you're going into town or into like or going into like uh, caves or something. Which means basically you're going to have a different player. You might have a different PC every time you wake up from a new level. And it actually builds in that, okay, you do your thing, you do your adventure at this age category, and you go count your you go count your gold and you sleep away and you wake up the next age category, you ah, yawn, you decide you want more gold, you want more adventure, you go do some adventuring, you get enough XP for your next category, and you go back to sleep. Oh, <laughs> like that was the structure awesome. of the game. And you literally are playing actual dragon, right? Not yeah. a dragon draconic or anything, like a little no, that's no, you're, cool. you're, no that's full cool. full but that's that's why it's set up that way because it is a an actual monster manual dragon you're playing. You start off as a wormling, a baby dragon. You have to make humanoid NPCs, player character NPCs. Not, I'm sorry, they're PCs, not NPCs, but they're they're kind of your helper character. They're like they're like your familiar to some extent because they adventure for you in places the dragon can't go. And they you. are your agent. So you kind of have both levels of gaming. So you have the stuff going on at the draconic level, which could be very political or very war focused, but it's huge because your dragon's going to be huge. Right. Yeah. Um, and then you also have stuff going on at the individual, at the small, small guy level where your agents can go take care of it. And then, you know, I didn't get into it deep enough to know what happens if you're like a metallic dragon where you can shape shift, 
because then I would think you wouldn't even need the agent. But that's how they set this game up. They set that's up cool. the whole setting with the idea that you're going to need to take time to, to, to age to get your next level of powers. And it might be decades or hundreds of years. Well, and that kind of goes back to some of our stuff when we talk about some of the classic adventures and the idea of an adventure. Um, and that, you know, yeah, you're, you go out and you, uh, you know, you uh, clean out the Tomb of Horrors or something or the keep on the borderlands, right? But then... Well, now you're going back to town or maybe you're going to, your, you know, you're going to build your keep or you're going to do this and then something else happens. And uh, so, yeah, you can totally build a, a long running campaign with that. I think that's awesome. If the people are into it, if they're if they can if they can kind of play into that, you know, I think you need to think of a specific kind of campaign you're making. Because one, one of the challenges is, I mean, stop and think, what kind of campaign can you build for a huge adult dragon? Yeah. What do you yeah. do? You don't send them into a dungeon. How do you yeah. do it? You know. Um, but no, I mean, just for like a nor like a normal running thing, like with our uh, with uh, Body's Family one that we've done, that one of the ones that I wrote the Black Pines for, it kind of had that feel, you know, like there would be an adventure and then we'd go back to the mall and then we'd yeah. be, you know, doing our thing. And I tried to kind of play that up a little bit with some of my thing to kind of build out the world a little more, like we had been beginning to rebuild and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's totally doable. Just different different games, different campaigns, different uh, goals. So we've been going on for a little bit here. I guess why don't we talk a little bit about how you build your preferred style of game, and then we'll kind of then then we'll get to the do this, and then we'll, and then we'll, then we'll wrap it up. Uh, so I know when I'm building the kind of open world kind of game I've been talking about, the big things I concern myself with are what's going on in the world and building a world that has moving pieces, things that are going to, things I can bring the, the, the party to as they make decisions as far as what they're going to do. Then what I do is I shift to more of a week by week creation. So, you know, we have the first session. I know kind of what their options are. They'll tell me what they do. I'm going to add a little, I'm going to pull stuff out of the DMG. In uh, at first level, you have a relatively small number of things you're going to interact with. Then from then on, it works best when I know where they are at the end of the session or I know where they're going at the end of the session, or if they're wide open, I can come into that session understanding we're going to talk about what do you want to do to begin with the session, and I can prepare for that. But even though it's open world doesn't mean it's no preparation. I'm going into each session thinking about where are they, what might they do, what do I need to prepare, what do I not need to prepare, and nothing is totally unprepared unless they go totally away from what I was expecting. I'm set up for that. I'm fine with that. But like that's, that's, you know, it's, it is basically taking a week by week approach driven by what the players do to determine what we're going to have next. But if you're in a dungeon where you're going to be for multiple sessions, well, that is kind of a railroad anyway, right? <laughs> the, the, the individual adventures, which we talked about, I want to do more of, and I want to think about more clearly in an earlier episode, they are more like being in a module. So that's, that's kind of how I'm coming at the open world game. Uh, Tony, so how do you build your game? So as far as when you're building more of a railroad type of, Shouldn't call it a railroad. More of a narrative type of structure is a better way to put it. Well, <laughs> if you're going to do, really go do the train or the narrative, first, you, you, every good story, as we've said before, needs a beginning and an end. Now, I'm going to say something really crazy here. The details at the middle are a little mutable. You know, they're <laughs> going to kind of shift as the game is going on. And you want to think about, okay, you know where your players are going to start. You know where you want them to end up. How are you going to get them there? So we got to kind of break it up. I like the episodic structure. I'm going to move them down the track and it, there may be some deviations, 
but ultimately they're bringing it towards certain like large key points, like maybe the season finale, maybe the big reveal. I mean, as a DM who puts a lot of thought into storyline, I'm like, okay, I have this really big reveal, and then those guys are completely disinterested in going that way. I don't, you know, you can't, as a DM, like, blatantly drop a spotlight on something, but I'm like, so you don't want to see the the lost druid in the grove, huh? Okay. You know, I, I guess I you guess we're going to go hunt. Deep. You don't know what you're missing. No, no. It's like you're, you're treated to look at. <laughs> He's super you know, cold. He has cookies. She totally has cookies. They're like, no, <laughs> no, no, no interest in stupid druid. <laughs> they have no interest in meeting this tree-hugging druid. Now they're going to go hunt ogres. Okay. So this I'm is happening. Curious, something specific to what we're doing. Do you, do you feel like, now right now you're doing Storm King's Thunder. It's a module. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like running your own cam- like when you're running your own campaign, when you're running your own narrative campaign, do you feel like that's pretty similar to running a book campaign, or do you feel like you're doing something totally different when you're running one or the other? Well, if you're running something that's module based, then indeed you are on a story focused mm-hmm. uh, railroad. And I've seen 5e; they do offer more agency. Storm King's Thunder in its raw form had a lot of agency and opportunity to do all this exploring. Um, and that's not honestly where I wanted to take this campaign, to be perfectly honest. I felt that we might run some roadblocks where it's like, okay, we can explore this stuff and we look in this area and we're over here doing these things. And I, as a player, I'd look at that and go, did I find this truly satisfying? And in some of those situations, I, my answer was no. Just like some of the motivations the book offered, in my opinion, were very soft for for doing certain things. Well, I can go to a, I can go to this town, I can go to this town or this town. What the effing difference? You're not giving me a real conclusive reason why I'd want to go to any of these. You know what? As a DM, you're going here because this is the coolest <laughs> town. It's funny. So you took you took a module that that wasn't railroady and you made it railroady. I, I kind of like it's more like I'm taking you to the monorail and I'm taking you to the best parts. <laughs> yeah. All right, Dave. So I mean, you, 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 in the man in the middle here, how do you uh, how do you go about it? I really I I still will stick with that. I am the man in the middle. Um, it's funny though with both what I'm what we're kind of realizing, which I think we probably already realized. Uh, but we all kind of DM the games that we want to play, right? Like. We're, yeah. we're doing yeah. what we want to do as players. So you can very, and I'm sure everyone is doing that. So, um, so just an interesting psychological experiment. Um, so you could probably an easier way to find the, you know, how to curate your group. Right. But, um, mm-hmm. if I'm running something like Curse of Strahd, right. Uh, it's going to run a little differently than if I'm running Slaver's Bay, but not by much because I don't know how Strahd is going to end, right? I mean, I have ideas, right? I mean, you have the general, like, okay, well, this is, you know, he's the big bad. I don't know, though, right? Because other things within the game have gone sideways. And, oh, okay, well, let's let's plan for that then, right? So I go back to my session prep stuff. So I only ever go for each session. I might have some larger ideas, but those are completely mutable. Mm-hmm. Um, session to session, the story is building. Uh, if I'm running something that's like just an adventure, 
like I did for Black Pines or if I, you know, ran the Marvel game, I literally will have it's it's very module focused. It's it's got its chapters, it has its definite goals and and points because you have you have a certain amount of time to do it. Well, you can um, see that. I mean, people yeah. can go download can, can go uh, read the Black Pines module yeah, go check, on the go website. Look at, yeah. Go look at the just real solid infrastructure that I just really really just nailed the the rails down. It's it's like a high level magnetic. It's also a railroad and more a pneumatic tube system. You it's, know, it's, I mean, it's like impressive. It's impressive <laughs> the level into which you have zero choice in the matter. Um, but no, I mean check it out, right? But that's for a very specific purpose, for a very specific cause. Um, but yeah, it's just week to week. So regardless if I'm doing something like Slavers or Curse of Strahd, uh, the story is there in a way, but it's completely mutable session to session. And that's why I think it's not an either or, it's an and. It's both a sandbox and some level of rails. Because as Matt Colville said as well, somebody replied to his uh, his talk on that. And they said, well, how about roller coasters? They have rails and they're pretty fun. And he was like, absolutely. There's nothing wrong. So, yeah, it's just <laughs> about say that no. later. Don't say no. Determine difficulty. I'm going to steal Thorin's line. That's a good one. I stole it from Dragon first. And really, we're, we've stolen all this stuff. If we, if, if we have stolen your idea and, and, and not uh, attributed to you, we apologize. We're trying we're trying to source as much as we can. We're trying to quote as much as we can and give you links back. But when you've been doing it for this long, the number of things in my head about how to play D&D that didn't start there, there's no way for me to track that all it's down. Just, yeah, it just marshmallows out. It, it does. I mean, it's all you just you absorb it all and it just becomes how you do your game. And then and it's no just... It's, it's mixed up with mash references and that's to confuse people. I should never. Dun, 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 <laughs> I thought it was a good reference. Dun, dun, I, I, think, I think our listeners are going to remember mash. I mean, if they haven't, they should go check it out. Timely. Yeah. Let us know. Let us know. Email in, email in, get us on Facebook, and Twitter. Tell us about your favorite mash character. Was it Hawkeye? Was it hot lips? Who knows? <laughs> the jury's out. German T. Potter. And with that, so let's take this into the final thoughts here. So, you know, pulling ourselves out of the MASH, you know, world, unless you want to start a MASH role-playing game, there's definitely room for a weird Vietnam role-playing game. You did weird New Jersey. You can do weird. It was in Korea. Yeah, that was right. Oh, oh, my bad. It was during Vietnam about Korea. Yeah. (laughs) So let's get to our final thoughts then. Uh, What do you guys think? You want to leave the audience with some idea of what they should do setting out to build campaigns your way. Who wants to go first? Well, I'm going to say that I don't really recommend either story. You have to find what fits you and your audience. Now, if you find yourself, like I said, with those players who just are dynamite, they write their own scenes, they're writing the dialogue, they're driving your story. This is a very character-focused campaign, then fantastic. Then really the sandbox is probably a good option. Just be careful. Don't try to prepare for everything. Like I keep saying over and over again, like this warning, be careful on how you prepare your towns. You could spend a lifetime making one town and they go in, they go, well, I bought a short sword and they blow this pop stand and they never freaking come back. And I'm like, no, you need to go in the alchemist back room. There's a secret in there and nobody cares. On on the flip side of that, if you're going to go for more story-based game then you're probably going to be using some railroads at least some rails and points and make sure you hit those story points cleanly make sure 
some of those things I can get, I can, I actually make once in a while. I hate to say this happens. Uh, like I see, I see a scene's going great, and then they leave the scene, and I'm like, crap! I wanted to do one more thing in this scene, and they left. <laughs> and the troll king. Well, that was their whole story. I'm like, oh, they'll they'll talk to the troll king. And they're like, no, I don't talk to the troll king. He's a we gotta go guy. back to the troll king. We gotta have that conversation. I want to know what it, he was supposed to tell us. Uh, you know, um, it, 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 the world's open in that respect. You can make your make, mosey your way back there at some point and uh, see what he's gonna say to you. But, Our priest got a vision that you had more to say, noble troll king, <laughs> who looks like a white walker. Don't let his jagged fangs, you know, dissuade you from the fact that, you know, he, he may have had some plot points to share. But um, actually, I used the um, the visual I used for him was really a little too scary looking back on it. It was an image very similar to one of the characters from the Blood Omen series, Vorador. And I'm like, you know what? Okay, you know what? This is the kind of face that makes babies cry. Hmm. No, All right, I see what they like were like King Laufey from Jotunheim, from the Thor movies. That's, That's what, what he looked, he looked like. like. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He I never like that fucking guy. <laughs> His face did not, scream, did not scream, you know, open to dialogue. <laughs> he, he didn't set us up with like a hot chocolate and, you know, around a fire to talk to him. It was, it wasn't he a comes friendly with a scarf, yeah, he offered people <laughs> warm drinks. Um, but then also be aware that your story needs to be set. Have your firm beginning, have your firm ending, then take everyone through the story uh, on your late rail and see how they go about it. Don't be afraid to make a detour, too. Just don't end up in, you know, some part of New Jersey with Dave's story, or the Jersey Devil will definitely get you. And Mother Leads. Hi, Dave. What about you? What are your final thoughts for this episode? Yeah, I mean, I kind of said them earlier. Uh, it's not either or. It's and. There is there is no some uh, – there's no honor because you're a sandbox DM, and there's no honor because you're a railroad DM. Like, it's not like, it's just so oh, I'm – I'm so much better because of that. Like, just drop all that nonsense because there's something to be pulled from each of them. And I think that's what you're starting to find with the three of us is we're starting to evolve our own styles because we're open to other ideas. So be open to that stuff. I would just go back to all of my wonderful articles on the website. I would read about kit bashing. I'd read about my session prep stuff. Because that's all you really need to do, regardless. If you're running a module, if you're running an open world, if you're running whatever, just plan for the next thing. You don't have to plan 48 things later. Just plan for the mm. next thing. Be open to the players adjusting it. Be open to things going sideways. So there you go. Not either right. or. And for me, so you know, as, as the guy who comes in as the most improvisational DM and the most open sandbox, what I would say is recognize kind of where the limits are on that. And one of the points that's been made here uh, several times tonight and, and made elsewhere is that you have to have the right players for it. If you have a table full of players who just want to be spoon fed a story and you sit there asking them what they want to do, they're going to they're going to do what they probably do when they ask them when they want to go out to dinner. I don't know. Do you where do you want to go? I don't know where you where do you want to go? And that is not a fun experience for anybody. So if you really want to run this kind of player agency sandbox game and your players aren't into it. Well, that, you know, we've talked about before, maybe that's not the game for you. Maybe that's not the right group for you. If you, once you're into it, and if you are doing that kind of game, keep in mind that not everything is going to be that open. And there are going to be times when you can make a plan and know the players are going to do it. So take advantage of those opportunities. When you know, at the end of the session, they're going to go into a dungeon. You have the chance to make the dungeon. 
maybe put them in there before the end of the session so they don't decide to not go to it. <laughs> um, those are the sorts of things I think really kind of let you get the best of all worlds, which is as you're going through and as you're letting the players decide what to do, once they've made their decisions, you can focus and build things that are a little more intricate than you were doing before. So you're ad-libbing with a backbone of prep when you get the opportunity to prep. You know, be pragmatic about how much prep you're doing and pragmatic about how much improv you're doing and pragmatic about if your players don't know what to do, how you're going to get them to move on. Cause that really does, you know, I don't want it to be my job as a DM to decide what the characters are doing. Cause we're supposed to be playing their story. As far as I'm concerned, it is the player character story, not the DMS. The player character should tell me what they want to do with their lives. Having said that occasionally they might need a little boot. You know, you might need to kick them, kick them out of their parents' house to get them out there to do stuff. Don't be afraid to do that on occasion. I think there are ways to encourage more player agency, give them the opportunity to solve more things in unique ways, throw things out of them and give them the option of how they want to handle them, which might be totally different. You know, if you set up in a, if you set up that there's a goblin, goblins are raiding the village and you're expecting the players to go check out the goblins. Well, maybe think about setting it up so the players could go kill the goblins or ally with the goblins. Or leave. Or call someone else to go deal with the goblins. Like, think about it totally openly and give them the chance to do those things. And you might find that you have an, an interesting, different kind of game than you've had before. All right, that's it for me. Guys, thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun tonight. Excellent. Good stuff. And all of you listening at home, thank you very much for joining us for another episode of Three Wise DMs. You can find all the content we've talked about at threewisedms.com. We're constantly adding new blog posts up there, new episodes are there. You can also listen to our episodes on any podcast player you're in, whether it's iTunes, uh, Google Podcast, Stitcher, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, we should be there. And if you're enjoying the episodes, please give us a five-star review. That really helps us get the word out and helps more people find the podcast. You can also talk to us on Facebook and Twitter. Three Wise DMs is active on, on both of those outlets and also on Instagram a little bit, a little bit less on Instagram. But you can talk to us in any of those places and hear what we're doing and let us know what you want us to do. Finally, you can send us an email at threewisedms at gmail.com. If you have any direct feedback for us, we'd love to get it there or through the What's Your Problem field on the threewisedms.com website. That's it for this week. We'll see you next time at Three Wise DMs.